Great to see everyone here today. It's uh, good to see old friends. If you don't know who I am, my name is Kevin, and I'm uh, the lead pastor at Grace Community Church in Fremont. And uh, Zach is out of state at a, a family wedding in Kansas, and uh, AJ just took off on a trip, and so that left me. You know, I, I'm number three up, so here I am. And uh, so, if you're new here, I encourage you to come back. And check it out when, when the regular guys are here, and I think you have better experience that way. So, good to good to see good to see all all the old friends uh, that I have here. It's just uh, fun stuff. Uh, as you know, we're starting a new series called Zip It, and uh, and we're focusing on our speech, which is a huge part of our life, our tongue, our talk, and uh, it's a big part of our world. I mean, we, we love talk. We got sports talk, news talk, TED talk, talk to text, right? Talk TV, talk radio. I mean, we're all about the talk. And God has a lot to say about our talk. That's what we're going to focus in on. As human beings, we communicate a lot, some more than others. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you break it down by gender, and I know you're not supposed to do that these days, you know, of the two genders, they estimate uh, that one, I won't even mention which gender, so you figure that out. One gender speaks about 20,000 words a day, and the other gender, and there are two, the other gender speaks 30 to 50,000 words a day, so I'll let you wrestle with that a little bit. And that doesn't even count us talking to ourselves, you know, this is just talk, and uh, we talk a lot, and sometimes when we talk, it would be better if we just zipped it. That's right. That's exactly right. And that's, that's what we're kind of focusing in on. So James tells us, and we're going to be in different passages during this series, but to kick it off, James tells us that we should control our words. In the short book of James, he keeps circling back to this issue. And I want to focus on James chapter 3. Uh, so if you have a Bible with you or a device... Uh, you, that's where we're going to be, James chapter 3. And just at the beginning of this chapter, he's going to point out some things for us. He's going to point out the problem with the tongue, uh, the power of the tongue, and the potential of the tongue. And, and when I say tongue, I'm talking about speech or our words. Um, so true or false, we've heard this all our life. Sticks and stones, say it with me, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. True or false? That's right. Words hurt. Not physically, but words hurt, and that's what we're, we're talking about. Uh, we've all said things that have injured relationships, uh, whether that's relationships in a work environment, personal relationships, whatever they are, we, we've all seen that. I, I know for me, um, just in my position, like, like many of you, I've been, and my age, you know, I've been a boss for a long time. Actually, last three 
jobs I had, including this job, I've been a boss. And, and I've noticed something over the years, and maybe you've noticed this too. As a boss, and the longer that happens, I tend to, you sort of control the room verbally a lot without even thinking about it. And sometimes you get impatient when other people are talking in a meeting and you think it's not exactly on target. I've noticed that I can interrupt people without even thinking about it. It's, you know, I just over-talk them. And, uh, and so I've been waiting for this series because I know anytime we're talking about this topic that I will personally benefit from it. And I hope that you will too. Um, so there's not only a problem with words, but there, by, by the way, there can also be a problem with lack of words. We know that too. And this is where those two genders come together in the evening after a long day. And that's where that sort of shows up. Typically one person like, okay, we're talked out. And the other person, they haven't even, they're, they're just getting into third gear, you know. And so you have that kind of mismatch. I remember a long time ago, I, I read a statistic that said parents and their kids, it's a huge need for communication. I read a statistic, again, it's an older statistic, but it just stuck with me, that Parents and their children have meaningful conversation. I'm not talking about maintenance, where you're going, when you're going to be home. That's maintenance stuff. But meaning, meaningful conversation on the average of 10 minutes a week. 10 minutes a week, parents having meaningful conversation with their kids. And by the way, in those homes, if you remove the mom, if it's just the dad, you can almost measure that in seconds. We... It's not always that we need to talk less. Sometimes we just need to realize our talk and communicate in healthy ways. So that's the problem with the tongue is that it's got to be controlled. We have to use it wisely. God gave it to us for a reason. And, uh, and the reason that it needs to be controlled is the second point, which is the power of the tongue. The problem leads to the power, the power of words, um, the power of speech. You know, it's one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. And I, and I probably don't really appreciate it as much until you go to another country. I know David and I have been in another country where all of a sudden, and he still does that, where, Boy, when you can't communicate, it causes all types of issue. It takes a lot longer to communicate. You think you know, uh, it's as described by maybe a phone call or something, you think you understand everything, and you go there to another part of the world, and you look at what's been described. It's completely different. It just kind of catches, because communication is so important. And it's amazing that once we get our words down and we know what we're saying, the power that words can have. And our culture now talks about this all the time. And they've sort of gone off the deep end, some people, on some of this. Uh, and so I'm going to say this. I don't want to be dismissive, dismissive of words because that's the whole point of our text today, that words are important. But we have a lot of people in our culture now saying, you know, words are violence. Okay, well, words aren't violence. 
you know, violence is physically causing injury to somebody. That's violence. Words are words, but they can be powerful. And as, but we have people running around say words are violent. Words are violence, and they use that to justify violence against people who say something they don't like. And that's actually an attack on our free speech when they do that. And we need to be aware of that. It's kind of interesting because the, the words are violence crowd are people who are okay with actual violence against certain groups of people. And so we, we have to understand that, that words are words and violence is violence. They're not the same. But words are powerful, powerful. How many of you in here know uh, Pastor Mike Miller? Yeah, well, some of you do. Well, he just got married yesterday. So talk about the power of words. Two words, what are they? I do. Huge. His life is going to be different from now on. You know, so, so we get how powerful words can be. Or if we hear a judge say, not guilty, that can make a huge impact on our life. Or a doctor says, you're cancer-free. That changes the way we view everything. Or, or we can turn to God, most importantly, with our words. Saying, God, I get it that I messed up, I have issues. That I've sinned against you, and God, I'm asking you for forgiveness. Lord, come into my life. You know, that most important words when we're expressing faith in our heart. And so words have power that we must recognize and take seriously. So we want to start in James chapter 1 here, uh, James chapter 3 in verse 1. He says, which is interesting for guys like me, because he says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Wow, that's kind of sobering. A stricter judgment. And when James is writing this, he means this in two ways. And he's talking about teachers within the context of the church. And he's saying, first of all, stricter judgment in that we will be judged for what we say. And that all goes to we need to make sure that when we're teaching God's word, for example, that we are getting it right. That's huge. I remember that was such a big issue to me. The scariest thing to me about becoming a pastor, which I'd never thought I would be a pastor, but I did become a pastor. Scariest thing to me is that I would get it right, uh, that I would I'd say uh, the truth, that I, that I wouldn't mess it up. And here's what's interesting about that. There are a lot of church churches that have church groups in them where people sit around in a circle and they'll read a passage of scripture and then everyone will just go around the circle. And I'm not here to offend anybody, so maybe you've done this. But then everybody will just go around in the circle and say, well, here's what I think this sentence means. Here's what I think it means. Oh, here's what I think it means. Here's what I well, these things are all different. And if you don't have a leader that's actually done a deep dive on this passage and says, well, actually, no, that's not what it's saying. It's actually saying just what it's saying. Nothing more and nothing less. 
then what you're what happens is then these 10 people sitting in a circle, they walk out of that meeting going, okay, they've just stripped that verse out of all of its meaning. Because now 10 people have said, well, I think it means this. And, and really, you're doing damage to God's truth. Because it doesn't mean 10 things. A verse basically only means one thing. Paragraphs typically just have one idea. Verses have one thought, a sentence has one thought it's trying to convey, and we could mess that up sometimes, and so we want to be careful with that. I I remember that concept when I I graduated from a college in Colorado in business and economics, but I was a believer, and so I always figured I was going to be in a church, and I always figured that I would be involved in that church. And I I also knew that the biggest needs a lot of times in a church, besides children's help, was, uh, which I didn't think I was particularly suited to, but the other thing would be teaching. And so I actually went, I was single, you know, and I had a good job, and I actually moved out of state and attended a Bible college to take Bible classes just to be a volunteer in the church. And then it was a, a few years later that I realized that I would go into ministry. I actually went to, to graduate school uh, to be in ministry. But uh, my main concern then coming into ministry was that, that same thing, that I would just get it right. I didn't ever want to teach something and then find out 10 years later after I studied it more that it was, well, actually, no, it, it was kind of this way. I'm, I'm not trying to make it mysterious or anything. The Bible just says what it says. It's not that hard. But, uh, but you do want to get it right. So that's one way. We're accountable for the truth. But the second way teachers are accountable and have this stricter judgment is our life. If we're teaching in the church, then there's this incredible issue is are we living the life that backs that up? And we know this because in the context of James, in James chapter 2, he was saying a lot about, hey, you say you're a Christian and you're not acting like a Christian. That's not it. That actually, the day that you become a believer, the day that you recognize that, hey, I have sinned against God and there's nothing I can do in and of myself to make this right. There's no good deeds that I can counterbalance that with because those are all things I'm supposed to do. I have nothing. And if God is truly just, and God is truly a good judge, and God is truly holy and righteous, just like we want him to be, I'm in trouble because a good judge would judge me for my wrongs, my sin. And when we come to that realization, and then we realize that Jesus came to die to pay the just penalty for our sins, the penalty that justice demands and when we understand that and then respond to him by faith by putting our trust in Christ alone with a desire for him to lead our lives that changes everything everything and here when your life has changed like that James is pointing out that if you're a teacher Your life should show that change of becoming a Christian. You should be consistent. You should never be a teacher in the church 
that their life isn't backing that up. And uh, the next thing that he goes to in the next verse is he shifts from teachers in verse 2. He says, and now he's going general. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to control the whole body. That's, he's telling us, hey, we all mess up. That's the whole point. That's why Jesus had to come. We all mess up. But if you can get your mouth right, well, you can be a mature believer is what he's talking about. We're thinking about it this way. You cannot be mature if you have no self-control. Really, one definition of maturity is self-control. And the hardest part of our life to control, oftentimes, is what comes out of our mouth. Our immature or our lack of self-control usually shows up in what we say. So the tongue also, when, as we talk about um, the power of the tongue, the tongue also has the power to set the direction of our lives. Uh, in a lot of ways, our tongue, it's just really a half-pound slab of trouble, but in a lot of ways, it's our most powerful muscle in our body because it can do the most damage. It could do the most good. You have to have it under control if you're following Jesus. So here this next verse, verse 3 says, Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. So bit, he's talking about, you know what a bit is? I, I remember, I, I'm, as a young person growing up in different places, I was actually a Navy brat, but uh, I always had family in Colorado, and so we would go there, and some of my cousins lived on ranches, and so I grew up sort of riding horses a lot. We, we rode horses. I say sort of, I had never really been taught how to ride a horse. We just jumped on them and went. And so because of that, I know when I'm around horse people now that I'm probably not doing what they think I should be doing. And so because of that, maybe not being taught, I've come off a few horses. And uh, the second to the last time that happened, I was you know, at somebody's house. It was a, a relative. They had a horse. This horse hadn't been ridden in a long time. We saddled it up. And nobody really wanted to get on this horse. But again, the way I was taught, I just jumped on the horse. Well, the horse reared up. There were kids around. And, the, you know, it was nice little horsey outside the fence and everything was good. And then I jumped onto the horse. And then the horse started bucking and rearing up. And then I was able to stay on, hanging on, you know. And, uh, and then the horse went down and started rolling on me to get me off. And so... As a, and that's when you notice how big a horse is, by the way. When you go down and the horse is rolling onto you, you're like, okay, this is a big animal. You know, it's a thousand pounds coming my way. And I was able to pull my leg out without my shoe, but I got my leg out. And then just the way I was taught, as, which again, I'm, I'm just freelancing here because I don't know what. Ten of you will come up to me after this service and say, you know what you should have done was this. But anyway, I don't know what I should have done. But what I did is I was always taught you kind of don't let the horse beat you. So as the horse was getting up, I jumped on it again. You know, that's the way I was taught. But again, everybody's just looking at me. And the weird thing is I'm doing all this and I'm around people who know horses. So I don't, and they never said anything because they were too kind. So I don't know what they were thinking. 
But I know I wasn't doing the right stuff, but I was having a good time anyway, and it all kind of worked. But so a bit, it's amazing how you control this huge animal with a bit. So last Sunday I heard that Jacob walked the rat traps. Is that right? Did anybody see that? All right, so, so I, I just, I have my illustration. It's, it's a bit. And so I thought Blaine or Nick would come and put this in their mouth. So just come on, Nick. Where, where's Blaine at? No, that's, that's all right. I appreciate your willingness though, Nick. Yeah. So did you see that? That is a guy who's committed to ministry right there. I pulled, yeah, that's right. I pulled out this messed up bit. And he's like, all right, I'll do it, you know, whatever it, ta- whatever it takes, Pastor, whatever it takes, yeah. So with this little bit and the mouthpiece there that goes inside, you know, you control this huge thousand-pound animal. And James is saying, hey, thousand-pound animal, hey, this one-pound bit controls the animal. He's pointing out, he's saying, that's how... Our mouth is. And then he, he doesn't stick just with the bit. And again, I'm going to tell everybody at staff meeting, Nick, where, where'd Nick go? I, I'm, you got kudos, man. All right. So he continues. He says this. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder where the will of the pilot directs. Same kind of issue. He says, so too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. I had mentioned I grew up on Navy bases. So as a kid, I'm I'm looking at these huge ships. You know, my dad's going out to sea, aircraft carriers, you know, all this. You're looking at that just going, wow, they're huge. But then they're controlled by a rudder, which is very small in comparison on a ship like smaller than one one one-thousandth. Of the ship, you have this rudder that's really guiding it and setting the direction. And his whole point is, hey, the tongue's small, but it makes a huge difference in our life. And it can set the direction of our life. Uh, What we say has ramifications, either good or bad. We can say things that we wish we hadn't said, and we live with the ramifications. Or we can say good things. And live with those too for our entire life. And then James continues, said, yeah, it has power, it has the power to destroy. And uh, here's what he says. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest and the tongue is a fire, he's saying. You know, same thing. The tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness. You hear this language? The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Could that be worded any stronger? He's saying words are powerful. And then he's telling us, by the way, the source of how we misuse our words is the evil one who dwells in hell. That's what he's letting us know. And, and of course, we know that fire can be extremely useful. If you're out camping, whatever, you, you, know, you know what I mean. 
but it also can be incredibly destructive. And an uncontrollable tongue used by the evil one will mess us up. It will mess our families up. It will mess up other areas of our life if we let it out. It's amazing how we can become angry. And if you haven't learned how to become, you know, hopefully part of self-control is not being so angry. But if you haven't controlled your mouth when you're angry, you become a verbal arsonist burning down relationships all around you by what is coming out of your mouth. And some of us grow up in families where everybody just said everything and it didn't really matter. It was just water off a duck's back. But then you get married to somebody and they didn't grow up that way. And you'll get angry and say something to your wife or to your husband and they will remember that for 20 years. It's not water off a duck's back. They will always remember that you said that because to them, it was a knife in the heart with a twist. And so we've got to be careful. Of course, part of self-control and being a believer is self-control. You know, we realize any time that we're angry because somebody has offended us, we need to shut that down. Now, there's, Jesus had righteous indignation, and that's where he was reacting to an injustice that happened to somebody else, not as bad. But when it's all self-focused, watch yourself, because however you react from that point is not going to be good in the long run, especially with your words. And then last, I want to talk about the potential of the tongue, or the potential of words. It's poison or praise, he's saying. And when we think about the potential, the problem with that is the difficulty of controlling our words, the difficulty of controlling our mouth. James picks it up here in verse 7. He says, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one, Hear that? But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's not encouraging, by the way, right? No one, he's saying, can tame the tongue. So if nobody can tame the tongue, what hope do we have? Well, we have God who's outside of us that can help us with maturity, Christian maturity, self-control, and then that spreads to how we use our words. And by the way, it's not just our words, it's our attitude. You know how it is in marriage where you sort of learn to make your point And you can say words that are good words, but you can attach an attitude and inflection. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about here. You know, you you say the words are okay. If they were typed out, they would be fine. But you can say those words with a lot of attitude and sarcasm. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Right. You know, we do that. It's not just our words. It's the attitude 
that we speak them with. I always kind of like the automated voices that you hear, you know, on, on devices, because like they don't have attitude. That's what I thought anyway. But then, like, I'm on my GPS voice, you know, it's like I miss a turn or I go a different way because I feel like going a different way. And then I'm getting all this attitude about rerouting. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's like, wow, how does an automated voice have attitude when I'm just going a different way? Strange. But uh, we need help, actually, to control our tongue. And the reason we need help is because of the deceitfulness of the tongue. This is actually something James has already told us earlier in his short letter. It was in James 1.26. Think about this. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious, and this is good religious, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. What's he saying? He's saying, anybody thinks that they're right with God, that they're doing okay, that they're living a pretty good life for God, that, that they're being obedient to God, living for God, which we all should be doing and striving to do. But if anybody's doing that, and they're doing it without controlling their tongue, we're just deceiving ourselves. Because we're not living the way God wants us to live if we can't control our tongue. And uh, it doesn't make sense for us to think that we're living right before God and at the same time we're torching other people using our tongue for evil. He goes on in chapter 3 in verse 9, he says this, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. You know, this, he's saying, hey, same tongue, good and bad, that's inconsistent. You're deceiving yourself, shouldn't be that way. Our speech, as a believer, should come out of what should be in our heart, which is Christ. I remember as a kid, for a while, I lived in southern New Mexico, and uh, uh, we were traveling along, and there, there's a place in New Mexico down below Roswell uh, where there are artesian springs, and this is weird, especially if you're from Ohio, you would go there and think, this is like desert, there's not a lot of trees and stuff, prairie is what I would call it, but you can go hiking there, and I remember doing that, and coming across an artesian spring just bubbling up a few inches of water in sort of just a pebbled, dry creek bed, because that, that water wasn't that much, and then getting down on my hands and knees and drinking that cool, great-tasting water bubbling up from the ground. I still remember that to this day. I was just 
a kid, you know, 11, 12 years old. Now, I live in Green Springs. Green Springs has like the largest mineral spring in the world. How many knew that? In the world, they say. I have never got down on my hands and knees and started lapping up that water. It's green, for one thing. That's why they call it Green Springs. But you can tell by the smell, right? Yeah, if you ever drove through Green Springs, yeah, maybe you've noticed that. You already know it's not going to taste great. And what, what James is saying here is, hey, springs don't flip. A good spring produces good water. A, a sulfur spring produces that kind of water, brackish water, water you don't want to drink. But they shouldn't be mixed. And we've given our hearts to Christ if we've recognized our own sinfulness and, and we realize Jesus had to die for our sins. And good, doing good things cannot save us in any way. It's only by grace of God through what Christ did. But once we accept that gift by putting our trust in Christ, then we realize God has forgiven us every wrong thing we've ever done. And probably a bunch of stuff we don't even realize that we've done. Past, present, and even future. And then out of gratitude, we want to follow him with our life. We want to do what he wants us to do. And a big part of that is that we would get our mouths right. And so we learn with his help, God's help, to control our mouths so we're not damaging the people around us, a pure heart that's following God should produce good speech, fresh water, not bitter, harmful speech. And the tongue just has this tremendous potential for good or bad. Proverbs says the same thing in Proverbs 12, 18. It says, there is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I know people in this room who have become believers since I've known them. And part of their change in their life is their speech, their tongue, the way they communicate with other people. And think about it. Words can build a church or a family up, but words can also tear it down. Um, Jesus says words matter. They're powerful. They can be used for good, for evil. And Jesus actually takes it right back to this. When he talks about this, he gets real direct. He says it's connected to right here. In James, I'm sorry, Matthew 12, he says, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Things coming out, Jesus said this more than once. He says, hey, things that are coming out of your mouth are just revealing what's actually in your heart. It's just telling us what's on the inside. You know, the last few years, we've all um, 
become acquainted with thermometers probably, you know, with the, the whole COVID thing we had a couple years ago. And uh, where I go at the rec center, uh, you know, a couple times a week, which is right next door to our church in Fremont. But uh, I'll go there. And I was just there yesterday, and I'm walking out, and they have the thermometer, like, on the wall. So you, you're supposed to stop there and zero in, and it tells you what your temperature is, which I don't know if anybody's doing this anymore. I mean, I stopped doing this, like, two years ago, so I don't know exactly what the deal is. But I just walk through there, and after I shut the second door, I'm, like, 10 feet away, and I still hear that voice going, your temperature is good. You know, I'm thinking... There's no way that got my temperature, you know. It, but God's saying, the words that come out of our mouths are accurately reflecting what's in our heart. And we need to pay attention to that. And we need to get a grip on that. It shows how we are with God. God's telling us, Hey, we need to pay super close attention to our words because God says relationships are important. Most important relationship is your relationship with God. But then God's put us in the middle of the world with people all around us. And as believers, we have the opportunity to influence them for good. And maybe the primary way we do that is through our mouth. And so here's my challenge before we, before we pray and, and have a last song. We're starting this series, Zip It. This is just the introduction. We're going to be talking about different topics for the next few weeks. So first of all, I challenge you to come back and check this out. I think it'll be beneficial and super practical for your life right now. But secondly, we should think about how am I going to get on top of this this week? What changes will I make this week? So if you haven't caught it, I've already kind of figured out some things I need to change this week that I could work on this week. Okay, hey, when I'm in meetings, I need to pay closer attention to how I'm interacting with people, not interrupting people, not talking over people letting people say what they need to say. Really, it's, it's ascribing value and worth to them when I do that. And when I don't, even, even if maybe I'm not realizing it, it's tearing those relationships down and I'm missing something that I should hear. Does that make sense? So now, what do you think God wants you to do this week practically in this area? Because we can all improve. Some of it, we don't use our mouth enough we're around people who don't even know we're believers. And they're, they don't know Christ. And we should use our mouth the way God has told us to use it. So you figure that out. And uh, let's bow our heads. Well, let's stand together and, and bow our heads and pray. Father God in heaven, God, first of all, I thank you for this church here in Tiffin. Lord, it, it's, it's, it's a miracle. It's, it's something that just doesn't really happen this way. And I've never seen it happen like this. And God, we know that's you, and we thank you for that. We thank you for all these people here that are making that happen. And Lord, we thank you for bringing people here.
so they can hear your truth, have a relationship with you, grow in that relationship. So we thank you for those things. But Lord, here, for those of us who are believers right here today, God, we had asked that you would challenge our hearts and, and speak to us and give us practical ways. Just lead us to practical ways through your spirit where we can be more consistent, more uh, building up with our, with our tongue, with our mouth. Lord, that we would glorify you also, not only with our tongue, but with our life. God, help us to do that. Help us to apply this truth to our lives. Lord, thank you for loving us, and thank you most of all for allowing your son to voluntarily come and give his life in payment for our sins. Thank you for that greatest gift. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.